them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in the number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. We see a wonderful miracle here where Jesus takes just a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread, and he feeds a big old multitude of people. There's been a lot of debate on what kind of fish that was, and we've actually had college debates about this. What kind of fish did he serve? I personally believe that it was tuna fish. And I'll tell you why. I've seen my mama feed a family for a week on one can of tuna fish. So tuna fish goes a long way. And uh, I know that. So I kind of believe it was tuna. You know, I, I was thinking the other day that you can tune a fish, but you can't. I mean, sorry, you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. Yeah. You ever heard that old phrase? Yeah, true statement, true statement. All righty, I want to draw your attention back, though, to John 6. Look at verse number 2. And this is where I'm going to concentrate this morning. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. I want to talk about these things for just a few moments today. I hope you'll give me your attention. All right. Brother Jelani, it's so good to see you. And uh, we're missing your dad today. It's not the same when he's not here playing that bass over there. But I know he'll be back at 3 o'clock and had a, a meeting out of town, uh, had a, a job out of town, and was trying to make it back. I think the weather held him up. Lead us in a word of prayer. I want to just do a quick shout out to my wife who had done a wonderful job with the graduation on uh, Thursday night. I had a lot of people come up to me and compliment me and say, man, what a great, and I was like, man, I wish I could take the credit, but I just showed up and they told me what to do, handed me a program, and I did my thing, but, but uh, a lot of work went into making that an awesome night, and, and of course other things, staff that did things with it to make it a beautiful night, but it was a gorgeous night. 
just a beautiful send-off night. It was just a great thing. We had five seniors graduated, packed house, beautiful night. Thanks to so many people who were able to be there, and your support was noted and appreciated. And uh, my wife's been the principal for four years in, in our school, which started out to be a one-year thing, ended up being a four-year thing, but I can't think of anybody who could have done a better job at it. We've had a wonderful school, and, and so many good kids, and, and so many kids that would have failed, and there's no doubt they would have failed. Our kids nickname her Mama Riggs. That's kind of the nickname that a lot of them call her because she just mothered them through this whole thing. But uh, there are a couple of kids that actually graduated uh, the other night that would not have graduated had it not been for her care and concern and just literally just helping them through it. So, honey, thank you. It, it's, it, it's, it's hard to be a boss and a husband, and it's hard to be a wife and an employee. For both of us, we can honestly say that come June the 1st, we'll be glad that that ends. Uh, we'll be glad to just go back to being husband and wife again. But, but in any case, uh, uh, you've done a wonderful job. Amen. Somebody say amen. Hey, that's not the point to get quiet on. You see, it somehow doesn't count whenever you're a husband and you brag on your wife, but it counts even more because we, we did something that a lot of people could never have done the last four years. And we did a, I'm just going to say, we did a good job at it. We did a good job at it. And a lot, of, uh, a lot of kids' lives have been touched. All right, John chapter 6. I can tell already y'all are going to make, make it. You're going to be difficult today, aren't you? Y'all going to sit there and just go like this. This is one of those. It's going to be one of those days, isn't it? No? Y'all going to be good? Y'all going to say amen? Y'all going to laugh at stuff when I think it's funny? And you, you heard what I said. When I think it's funny. That's when you're supposed to laugh. That is the key to good teamwork when it's preacher and congregation preaching here. But I want you to uh, get, get woke up. I know it's a little dreary out there today. This mic seems a little hot. It's picking up everything on me here. Bring her down a little, just a little bit. Does it seem too loud to y'all? Is it good now? Was it better before? It was better. Bring it back up then. Bring it back up. All right. Bring it back to a little bit right before where it was. Keep talking, keep pulling. I'm, I'm going to keep talking. You, is that better? All right, there we go. Hopefully you can hear me good. Can everybody understand me? All right, Vince, I got a thumb up from Vince, so I am in good shape there. All right, John chapter 6 here. Look at verse number 2. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Well, I'll tell you what, before I get into the main part, what I want to talk about today, let me just praise the Lord for that verse. Isn't it great that we have the great physician that we can appeal to? Isn't it great that when a doctor says there's nothing else we can do, that's not the end of the story? Isn't it great that whenever you go to a doctor and he gives you bad news, you have someone to appeal to that is greater than he? Sometimes doctors forget that they're not the end all. Sometimes they're giving us the things that they know with their limited knowledge. But time after time after time, when the medical world said there was no hope, we found hope in Jesus and we found cures and we found healing in the name of Jesus Christ. Now we know that we are a winner either way. We understand that if God chooses not to heal us, that's not a punishment. God takes us to a land that is beautiful and God takes us to a home in heaven where we have mansions and glory, where we'll walk on streets of gold, where we'll never experience pain, disease, dying. We'll never have to say goodbye to anybody again. And it'll be a glory, a, a, a glorifying reunion day with all of those that have gone before us. You say, preacher, do you believe all that junk? Yeah, I believe all that junk. I believe it. And I'm better off because I believe it. Because I've got people that the Lord has taken on to heaven. And I'm looking forward to seeing them one day. And you know what? The Lord delays His coming. All of us will one day go to stand before God because the Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. And I'm so thankful that I don't have to fear the judgment because my sin condition was healed also by the great physician. I had a disease called sin, and so did you, and the great physician healed it. Now we can go stand before the Lord ready to see our maker. We don't have to fear death. Like, like Paul wrote, Oh, death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin. He says, Glory be to God who saved us from our sins. Listen to me. We know that God is able. 
you know, I don't know. It might be that, that Miss Gloria, I don't know. Maybe you, you didn't have cancer at all. But I do know this. When we knelt and prayed right there and we asked God to be with it, we asked God to give us positive news, we were appealing to the great physician. Now, I don't know. Maybe it didn't change a thing. But it sure didn't hurt anything, amen? And you know what? You got that good news, and I rejoiced. I felt like I had a little part in it. We got to pray together. And, and you know what? In that dark moment, in that dark hour, and I know that you were afraid and fear come into your heart because, man, it's a horrifying thing to be standing where you were standing. For a doctor to look at something, when doctors make certain faces and certain noises, and you know it's not good. It's kind of like when your dentist opens your mouth and he says, good grief, you know this is going to be costly and painful, you know? Well, listen, there are certain times that you go to the doctor and it's just you know this, that, that you're in a bad place. But you know what? During that time, knowing that we had a great position, it brought hope, it brought joy, it brought peace. You know what? Those are three things you just can't put a price tag on. Priceless things. So people came to Jesus that were diseased. Word had spread that there was this man from Galilee who could touch people and when he would touch them, their disease would leave. Or the demon that had plagued their body would, would flee. If they were blind, and there were stories of people born blind that walked away being able to see. There were people that were born paralyzed. They were healed, and they walked away dancing in the glory of God, jumping up and down for joy. You say, well, I don't know about all that. Well, all I can tell you is, is that I've been in church. I've been going to church for nine months before I was ever even born. Been to church all my life. And I've seen things that I don't know how to explain. I've seen doctors go in to remove cancer that was on x-rays, and when they got in there, the cancer wasn't there. I've heard these stories. I've seen people where, where the medical world said there's no hope that are now doing well and alive. I've seen people where the doctor said, you'll never have a baby, and now they're moms and they're dads. All I know is, is that we have a, a God that is the great physician. Jesus is the great healer. And people came to him and they got healed. And we see that there was a great multitude of people that followed him. You know, there's a lot of people, and there always has been, people with great needs, health needs, problems and these people were driven to find Jesus because they had these problems in their life and they saw him as the answer they began to hear the testimonials of other people they began to hear the stories of people that say man I'll tell you beating this thing what are you talking about well that guy that used to beg at the corner down there he, he's been there for 30 years I mean you know what I'm talking about yeah I know the guy I just put some money in his cup the other day yeah that guy you know, he's been on that same corner all these years. And as Jesus was walking by, he began to yell, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody told him to be quiet. But he started yelling even louder. We all thought, oh, man, he's making a fool of himself. But all of a sudden, in the middle of that massive crowd of people, Jesus stopped, turned around and looked. There he was laying there. He looked up at him and said, have mercy on me. And Jesus walked over. I'm going to tell you something. He got up and walked away after Jesus touched him. What are you talking about? I'm telling you, it happened, man. I saw it. Well, I got one better than that. What are you talking about? Well, I heard that he was walking through Jericho, and, and a woman that had a disease that was really sick, she just simply reached up to the crowd and touched the back of his coat. He stopped in the middle of the crowd and said, Whoa, wait a minute, who touched me? And everybody said, What do you mean who touched you? There's a lot of people touching you. He said, no, this was different. I felt power come out of my body. I felt the touch of faith. I felt somebody touch me that had faith. And I felt power come out of my body. And then he looked at this woman and he began to talk about how she had this disease. She was healed right there. Now people are gathering from everywhere, wanting to be the next success story at the hand of Jesus. Now... What I want to bring out to you here is we're given some insight on why a lot of the people follow Jesus. Now, when we read the first part of verse 2, it sounds, sounds great. I mean, think about it. And a great multitude followed him. 
That sounds like a very positive thing. Somebody say amen. I mean, a lot of people were following Jesus. That sounds big, doesn't it? I mean, it wouldn't have been the same if it had said there were a couple of people following Jesus. A great multitude followed him. Now, here's the, the good part. A lot of people were interested in Jesus. Here's the bad part. It tells why they followed him. Because they saw his miracles. You see, I want to talk to you quickly today on three reasons why people follow Jesus. You know, it is possible to be a follower of Christ and still yet not be a believer in Christ. How many of you believe that most of that multitude became Christians later on? How many of you believe that that's what happened? In fact, when we study the, the ministry of Jesus, we see it come down to a trial where they stand a common criminal next to him, a man that had robbed and murdered and was a professional criminal. And we see the multitudes as they began to yell, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. In the end, it was said that there was only 12 disciples that followed Jesus, and one of those actually betrayed him. We know that the Acts Church started out with only 120 people. By today's standard, the church that Jesus pastored would have been considered a small, insignificant church in the great landscape of religion. You ever hear people that talk about churches, and they'll talk about a little church as though it's insignificant. It's not compared to these big First Baptists and First Presbyterians and churches that literally have the populations of small cities sitting in their congregations on Sunday. Jesus would not have been accepted by many of the big preachers of today. He would have been considered a small country preacher with a little tiny congregation. 120 people. That was all that was left by the time we get to Acts that met in the upper room and that met with Jesus all the way from the reveal after his resurrection till his ascension. How many of you are with me? Say amen. There wasn't multitudes in the upper room. A small group of people, a remnant. But yet we see multitudes, thousands of people. Now, later on, many people will be saved under the ministry of the New Testament church. But we know at the end of Christ's physical life, as he ascends into heaven, ascends into heaven, there wasn't multitudes at the end. Many of them became discouraged. Many of them walked away. We can even read where the disciples themselves began to get discouraged. In fact, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus three times on the very first night that Jesus was taken away from him. We know that Thomas said, I won't believe it. I, I won't believe that Jesus is resurrected until I see the nail-scarred hands and I put my, my hand in his side. And unless I see it, I'm just not going to believe it. That's where he got that nickname, Doubting Thomas. Now, he got over it. Thomas ended up dying a martyr's death for the cause of Jesus. In fact, if you go to India... Kalman, India, there's a grave that marks his body where he died. He was killed with a spear while preaching for Jesus. He was killed for his faith. Not only did they kill him, but they killed his daughter. They're both buried in the same grave, according to the tradition there. You know, he got over it, but there was a period there where he was questioning this thing and thinking, man, was I duped? And, and did I just buy a bill of goods? Was Jesus just a good man? But, but maybe he wasn't quite the son of God. And they had to put this together in their mind. A lot of people can be followers of Jesus and not necessarily be believers. And yet I want to draw your attention to this fact that it is belief in Jesus that is the key to salvation. You cannot just be somebody who is a follower, casual, interest kind of person in Jesus. You've got to accept that he was the Son of God. You've got to accept that he was the Messiah, the resurrected Son of God. Are y'all with me this morning? And if you cannot put your belief in Jesus, you cannot be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father but by me. Listen to what some of these verses have to say. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to John chapter 3, just a few pages back. John chapter 3. Listen to these verses carefully. 
as it will drive home the reality that you've got to place your faith in the belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, the resurrected, beloved, only begotten Son of God. A lot of people aren't there. They're just not there. They, they don't really... They're just on the fence about it. You're going to have to get off that fence. John chapter 3, look at verse number 15. It says, For God... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, verse 15. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There we see these verses, verse 15 and 16, very much alike. But we see a key component. Belief in Jesus is the key to eternal life. How many of you plainly can see that in those two verses, say You've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God to have eternal life. I want you to notice this. Go over here to John chapter 6. Again, John chapter 6. Go back to where we started here. Look at verse number 35. John chapter 6, verse 35 says this. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now notice also, if you would, verse number 47, same chapter. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. And we can see here other verses. If you will, go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Look at verse number 38. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. There again, we see that belief in Jesus, that's the key. That's the key. If you will, go to chapter 12. John chapter 12. Y'all following me here? John chapter 12, look at verse 46. says, I am come a light into the world. Talking about Jesus. I'm come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. My friend, if you're not in Christ, you're abiding in darkness. You're living in a world of darkness. We call it being lost. You know, there's nothing really good that can be said about the word lost. When you lose something, it's, it's not a positive. The Bible says that a soul that is not in Christ is in darkness. It's a lost soul. If it goes into eternity without being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, it's a lost soul. It's a soul that's cast into a place of outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's lost. There's nothing good about lost. Nothing good about being in darkness. One of the worst tortures that can fall on a, on a person that's in that situation would be to be put into a room of utter darkness and to be left there. They say that people can literally go crazy, lose their mind when they're stuck in a room with absence of light. And I look at the world around me and I see people that are just stuck in darkness. But they don't have to be. Jesus is the light. The Bible says that he came to give light to them who sat in darkness. I talk to people that are unsaved. Often it doesn't take long of talking to them before you find out that their life is just full of darkness, sadness, depression. When they look to the future, there's not a bright light burning at the end of that tunnel. There's just darkness. When you talk about death, it's just darkness. Now, none of us, even us Christians, we don't like to talk about death. Who's with me on that? It's not my favorite topic. I don't get excited about it. I don't really like to discuss it. I remember when my grandma was alive, you know, she, her and my grandpa pre-bought their burial plots, like, 45 years before they died. And she actually had on the refrigerator where they pre-bought their tombstones. And it had their names on it. And it had their birth dates on it. And it had a little dash. And it was blank on both sides. I mean, literally, every time I went to see my grandma, he'd be eating breakfast. I'm like 16 years old. And I'm, you know, not wanting to think about this kind of stuff. She'd get that picture down and say, son, look at this. Look at that. She'd say, isn't that beautiful? She'd want me to look at her, her headstones. 
she'd talk about where their final rest, and she just, for, for 20 years, this went on, you know. I say, Grandma, I don't want to talk about that. I say, Grandma, I don't, I don't want to talk about when you die. I don't want to talk about your tombstones. It wasn't what I liked thinking about. I don't like talking about death, but you know what? The truth is, I, I know for sure my grandma was born again. I know that my dad baptized her after she got saved. Her, her son became a Baptist preacher. And then through my sister, Christy, my grandma was led to Christ. She was a good person, but, but just had some other ideals on how to go to heaven. And then when they showed her in the Bible, she needed to trust Jesus. Right there in the living room of her house, she got on her knees one night. It was a horrible storm. I remember it. I was there. My sister got to talking to her about heaven. Grandma got big tears in her eyes, got on, on her knees. And not only she, but my grandfather, my sister, witnessed to him that night, and he got on his knees in that same living room and asked Jesus to save him. That next Sunday, my father drove about five hours to be there to baptize both of them at the First Baptist Church in Marmaduke, Arkansas. They went to church faithfully the next 20 or so years of their life, 25 years of their life. I know she was born again. I know she believed in God. She put her faith in Jesus. So when I talk about death... Even when I, I look at my grandmother who has gone on before me, there's light in the topic. You understand what I'm saying? There's light in the topic. There's that light of hope, that hope that says, I'm going to see her again one day. She'll be young and beautiful and healthy. And I won't remember her the way I did at the end when she had Alzheimer's. My grandma didn't recognize me the last three times I saw her. She didn't know who in the world I was. One time I saw her, she thought I was my dad. The next two times I saw her after that, she didn't. She had no recollection of all of me, period. It's not going to be that way the next time I see her. And there's light in that. I find light in even the topic of death because of Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something, beloved. If there were no Jesus, it would be a dark, dark, dark topic. There'd be no light in it. Anybody out there this morning? Jesus is the light. He's crucial. He's crucial. Let's look at verse number of John 12. Look at verse number 44. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not in me, but on him that sent me. We see a synonymous believing in Jesus, synonymous with believing in the Father, believing in God. And there's other verses there. Let's go over to Mark chapter 16. Back to the left. Mark chapter 16. And then I'll get on to my three points and we'll be done short. Mark 16. You see, there were people that followed Jesus. And that sounds great. Multitudes followed Jesus. Everywhere he went, multitudes, multitudes, multitudes. But they followed him because he did the miracles. He did spectacular things, things they couldn't understand or explain. Mark 16, look at verse number 15. It says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now the word damned there, I know that that's a word that we would not want our children to use, but it, it literally means be Condemned. He's to be condemned. In this case, to be condemned to hell. So, what is the answer to that? Believing. Believing in Jesus. We'll preach the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news about Christ. And those that believe it and accept it will be saved. And those that reject it will be condemned or damned, as the Bible says. So, we see this that it is the key component of salvation. Believing in God is not the same as in believing in Jesus. We've got to believe in Jesus. There's a, a, a word called agnosticism. Agnostics are people who believe that there is a God. They won't argue with you that there is a God. They believe that there's a God. And it makes sense to them that for there to be a creation, there had to be a creator. They will not argue that fact. Where they go off the page with you, they do not believe that it's the God of our Bible that is the God of the universe. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in the, the, the God that we worship here. 
they believe that somewhere out there in the cosmos there is a being that would be a greater being than you. Now, listen, that is not the same as salvation. Saying I believe that there is a God is not the same as saying I believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that believing in God, he said even the demons believe in God and they tremble. You know, we have to take that next step. We have to take that next step. You can be a follower of Christ. You can be in that multitude following Christ. But obviously many of them were not believers in Christ. They never gave their heart to Jesus. They never claimed Him as their Savior. Now let me give you three quick reasons why many people are following Jesus. They give a reason here. Let me expound on it. First reason many people follow Jesus is because of tradition. Because of tradition. Join with me in the book of Revelation. We're looking at that on Sunday night. We came across this a few weeks ago when I pointed it out. But it'll serve us well this morning. Revelation 3. Love studying the book of Revelation. Interesting. Every time. Look at, look at chapter 3, though. Look at verse number 1. It says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. And we see that Jesus is writing a letter here to a church in Sardis where he gives them a criticism. He said, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Now he was speaking of a spiritual death within that church. Now this was a church that if you stood on the outside looking at it, it looked alive. It had programs. It had things going on. It was ornate. It had people in the building. But he said, even though you look like you're alive, like something's going on, like something's happening, you're dead. He was saying you're dead spiritually. And when we study that church out and we look at it in light of, of the, that, 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 the, the church age, what we understand is that it represents the age of the Reformation. The, the Reformation age was when there were uh, religions bursting out all over the planet. And people were going and discovering religion. And religions were growing. But many of them were dead in their traditions. They believed in traditionalism. They believed in salvation through institutions and through churches. Listen, Orlando Baptist Temple cannot save you. Joining our church doesn't put your name on the rolls of heaven. Being baptized by this preacher, it's a beautiful thing to be baptized. But baptism is a, is a sacrament of obedience that you do after you get saved. Baptism does not save you. People on baby dedication, I pointed out, we had three babies, beautiful babies, that we dedicated right here last Sunday. But listen to me, that did not save those three baby souls. One day, when they reach the age of accountability, when they understand the difference between right and wrong, they will have to make a choice to make Jesus the Lord of their life. And they'll cry out to Him on that day, and Lord will, and they all three will. They'll look up and say, Lord, have mercy unto me, a sinner, and come into my heart and save me and forgive me my sins, and Lord, I claim you as my Savior. All the prayers of parents and preachers, and the laying on of hands of deacons and trustees and the handing of certificates does not save their soul. But there are traditions that people believe that stuff does save a soul. And if you sprinkle water on a baby and if you, if you do these sacraments of the church, you're saved. And some of these are very large religions. And if you stand back and look at them, you think, man, they're alive with people and supporters and followers. But Jesus said, your tradition is dead. Tradition does not save you. I save you. Your church traditions can't get your name off the rolls of hell and onto the rolls of heaven. Belief in me gets your name on the rolls of heaven. A lot of people, the Messiah has been replaced by a movement that they're a part of. And he says that it's dead. And a lot of people, 
are following Jesus because of their tradition. You ask them, why are you a Baptist? Well, because mom and dad were Baptists. I was raised in a Baptist church, and I go to a Baptist church, so therefore, I'm a Baptist. Why are you going to go to heaven? Well, I'm a member of the First Presbyterian Church down there in Orlando. Mom and dad had me christened as a baby, and we've just always gone to church there, and I know I'm going to heaven because I'm a member of the church. My friend, that's traditionalism. Now, you're following Jesus... But have you ever gone from just being a traditional follower to being a believer? Sad truth is, our church roles are full of people that are followers of Jesus in the same sense that these people follow Jesus. They were followers, but they weren't necessarily believers. Deacons boards are often full of men that are followers, but not believers. And church choirs are full of people that are followers. And they like performing, and they like singing, but they don't really believe the words that they sing. Sadly, there's men that stand behind pulpits. That it is the tradition of the church that they follow. They're not really believers in Jesus. Some people follow Jesus just strictly because of tradition. There are kids who go to church. They've been in church for 30, 40 years. They, they've not put much thought into it. They go because mom and dad used to say, get up and go. Now I'm for telling your kids, get up and go to church. The Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they'll not far from it. I don't give my kids an option whether or not they want to go to church. If they say I'm tired, I say, well, get up and go to church tired, but we're going to church. You know, it's the only area where people say we need to get, you know, you don't give your kids the choice they want to brush their teeth or not. You don't give your choice. You don't say, kids, what do you want to have? You, listen, I've prepared broccoli, some vegetables, and I've got a salad here, a little piece of chicken. Would you rather have that or this chocolate cake over here? Which one do you want for dinner? We don't give our kids that choice. I hope you don't. Look, I want my kids to go to church because it's good for them. It'll help them be better people. It'll help them learn character. It'll help them learn to be socially involved. It'll help them learn to be socially conscious. It'll help them to have a heart for other people working on a bus route or teaching in a Sunday school class or, or helping clean the building. It helps them learn a servant spirit. And I think that they need to be obedient to the call of God and the command of God. And therefore, in our, ho our house, I, look, I'm kind of like that, like, like Joshua who said, choose this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we're just going to serve the Lord. You make your choice, I made mine. The Riggs family's going to be in church when it's time to go to church. But I, I want you to know that in no way do I believe that that saves their soul. There's a lot of kids that have grown up with a traditional view of church without it being a heartfelt thing. I think that's tragic. Some of you kids that go to church here, First of all, praise God that mom and dad bring you to church. Thank God you got a mom and dad sitting in church with you. What a blessing. I know kids that give anything to be able to sit between mom and dad on a Sunday morning and worship the Lord together as a family. And I've had little kids come up to me and say, please pray for my daddy. He's not saved. They'll hear a sermon, maybe a strong sermon about salvation. Boy, I'll see little kids sometimes with big old tears in their eyes. Often they'll come up to me. You know, on Wednesday nights, a lot of times, the little kids come up and gather at my chair and, and they pray, and I love it. It's one of my favorite things. There's a picture on the internet, in fact, of some boys gathered around me praying. I love it. You know, a lot of times, some little kids are telling me, pray for my mama. Pray for my dad. It's not safe. little kid already has a knowledge of salvation, and they're already burdened for mom and dad to be saved. I'm so glad that, that my mom and dad were born again and took me to church. But I'm glad that it wasn't just a tradition thing. I don't believe I'm going to hell because, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't believe I'm going to heaven because my mom and dad brought me to church. That is not what saved my soul. And a lot of people, their following of Jesus is nothing more than a bunch of traditionalism. Boy, we got to watch that. Anybody with me this morning? We need to continually challenge ourselves to say, I'm not going to do what I do just out of...
tradition. I'm going to do it out of a heartfelt love and appreciation for Jesus who died for my sins. When you bring your tithes and offerings, don't do it just because everybody in the church will be looking at me if I don't. Do it because God has already given to you and you love him. Don't let it become a traditional thing. Hey, when you come up here and pray, don't let it be like the Pharisees who did it out of tradition and no sincerity. Sincerely come up here and get a hold of Jesus. And when we're using these Christian things, don't use it out of just traditionalism. When you say praise the Lord, say it out of a heart of praise. But a lot of people follow Jesus, and it's just because of tradition. It's what our family's always done. My wife will be mad at me if I don't go. My mom will be upset if I don't show up on Sunday. Listen, you're missing something. Man, you're missing something. You're missing something. Teenagers in the room who are sitting here saying, as soon as I'm 18, as soon as I'm out of the house, I ain't going back to church. You're missing something. I'm sad. I feel horrible for you that it's always just been a tradition or something that was imposed upon you. I wish it would go from here to here. Become a part of your life. Become a part of your being. Become a part of your faith. A lot of people follow Jesus because they saw his miracles. People today follow him because of traditions. Second reason I want to throw at you was mentioned in the verse there in verse 2 because they seek miracles. Or let me add to it, they seek what they need from God. You know, as a pastor, it's a sad thing that I've seen over and over again, but I've seen people end up coming back to church. Sometimes the story is, preacher, my wife left me. I just got to get my life turned around. I'm going to get back in church. Please pray with me that I'll get my wife to come home. Be Sometimes we'll get together and go to counseling with them, and I'll go visit the wife sometimes. You know what I've learned a lot of times about those kind of people? As soon as they get what they want from God, or if they don't get what they want from God, either way, they're going to quit soon thereafter. Preacher, pray for me. I went to the doctor, and the doctor said I might be sick. Let's pray. A couple months later, man, I'm doing good now. I'm in remission. Praise the Lord. It's almost as though you say, all right, God, catch you later. Going to get back to the way it was before. You're not a you're you're not a you're a follower of Christ because the same reason these people were. But you're not a believer in Christ. I see it all the time. I see people get in church and man, they're here. Then as soon as that prayer need gets answered or that fear subsides, if God answers it, they'll drop out. If God doesn't answer it, they'll drop out mad at God because He didn't answer it. If he answers it, they have no more need for him. If he doesn't answer it, they're mad at him. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Say amen. I, you know, I hope you're not of that sort. We've had people come to church here and for five, six, seven straight weeks ask us to help pay bills. Week after week, pay our bills, pay our bills. You know, listen, we like to help people when we can. But you know what I've always been amazed at? That ninth week when you say, listen, we just can't pay that bill this time. You never see them again. Period. You go from being the greatest church, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. And, oh, I just want, I've had people literally get baptized while they're dripping wet. Preacher, I need $1,000. If I could just get $1,000, it'd save my home and it'd save my marriage. My wife's going to leave me if we get evicted. I'll go in there and I'll call the deacons and trustees to the office and you guys know what I'm talking about. I'll let you guys always handle that stuff. We'll help them. Brother Gary, back me up. How many times have we did it and never saw them again? I have found out that some people have been baptized in 27 churches in this town. You say, does that really happen? Yeah, it does. I want to suggest that person's maybe not a follower of Christ, but maybe a needer of Christianity things Christianity can provide there's not a lot of belief in Jesus going on there a using of Jesus a lot of these people that were healed by Christ remember the preacher I don't believe what you're saying well remember that story of the ten lepers 
And Jesus noted it. He healed ten men that were lepers. They all left. One of them came back and said, oh, and he started praising Jesus. And Jesus said, were there not ten of you? Where are the other nine? Those men went away receiving the blessing of Christ, but they were never followers. They were never truly believers in Jesus. Why do you follow Jesus? And then lastly, there are people who follow Jesus because He is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Look at John 6. Look at verse number 26. It says, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father seen. You see here that Jesus said, You seek me because, not because you saw the miracles, but because you saw the bread of life there. If you would look at, go to Matthew 16. Are y'all still with me? I'm just about to wrap it down. This has been thought-provoking, I hope. Why do you follow Jesus? I mean, why are you here today? Well, my mama made me. Man, work on that. You need to do some soul-searching on that. Why are you here? Well, this is what I always do. This is what I do on Sunday. I go to church. But, but why? Why are you following Jesus? Well, because I'm trying to get my marriage back in order. Well... Is that it? Is that it? Either way, if God answers your prayer or if He doesn't, He's going to lose you. You're not going to stay by the stuff. There's got to be more to it than just your needs if you're going to follow Jesus. In Matthew 16, look at verse number 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? By the way, I've actually stood in Caesarea Philippi, in the very valley where this conversation took place. It was a place where the Greeks, who worshipped hundreds of gods, had literally statues of gods set up everywhere. And it was a busy place, hustle and bustle. People came from all around to pay their alms. Literally, if you can imagine, like, a, like, be like being at Walmart on Black Friday. Just packed with people. And they're there, and they're bumping arms, and these are people rushing. Now catch this a minute. Here's Jesus standing in the middle of this crowd, false gods all around him, statues. And if you go there today, you can see the remnant of all that still. They're trying to find God, Brother Woody. They're trying to find and please God. They're there, and some of them worship many of those gods and would bring offerings to many of them. Can you imagine as they're rushing to try to get to their little statue, they bump Jesus, and they rush by him, and they, they're trying to find salvation. And there it was, standing in the midst of them, and they knew it not. Jesus is standing there amazed, watching these people as they're trying to find forgiveness from their false gods. Appeasement. There he was, the Son of God, in their very presence among them, the Messiah. He never knew. I stood there in that valley thinking of this and thinking, my goodness, my goodness. Jesus looked at his apostles and said, who do men say that I am? And notice what, what the answer that they started giving here. It says in verse six, verse fourteen, and they then they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Now you notice, Jesus said, who do others say that I am? And they started telling Jesus what everybody else was saying, and he brought it from there to here. Who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? Who am I to you? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now I know that Peter faltered in the night of the 
crucifixion. But I want to remind you that Peter was crucified upside down on the cross. He died for the cause of Jesus. In the end, he was not just a follower, but he was a to-the-core believer. So all he would have had to have said was, it was a lie, it was a myth. I don't believe in Jesus. He had already denied Jesus three times, but later on, he got it together. Amen. He did believe in the end. He said, Thou Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjon, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then God blesses him. We see that. We know what that all means as we study the book of Acts. Hey, some people say that Jesus was just nothing more than a prophet. Some say that he was a poet. Some say that he was a politician who just came at the right time with the right message. Some people say that he was downright a con man. He tricked everybody. Smoke and mirrors, planted people that he uh, used, and he played tricks on the public. There are those of us who say, no, he was the son of God. We're like that centurion that stood at the foot of the cross. And after the earth shook and the skies went dark, the graves opened up and spirits poured into the city proclaiming Jesus. He stood there at the foot of the cross looking up and said, surely this was the son of God. Many of us look up to the heavens and we say, surely Jesus is the son of God. And I hope that's the reason you follow Jesus today. Not because of your parents' rules. Not because of your family's traditions. Not because of society's views. Not because you wouldn't want people talking bad about you if you stayed home. Not because you believe that church is the way to have blessings or heaven. I want you to be a follower of Jesus. Not because you have needs from Him. Needs are met. Need seekers go away. But those that stay are those who say, I follow Jesus because he is the Son of God. He is my Savior. Is he your Savior today? I'll close with this. During World War II, the Holocaust was brewing in Germany. All over Europe, Jews were being killed, hoarded into concentration camps. When the war ended, they were going through the American military and they were touring some of these concentration camps where they found scribbled on the wall next to a bed where a Jewish man had spent his last days before being killed in a gas chamber. He wrote on the wall next to that little bed, I believe in the sun, even when I can't see it. I believe in the goodness of man, even though man doesn't always show. And I believe in God, even though sometimes I can't see Him. What do you believe? What do you believe? I want you to bow your heads. In a moment, I'll ask you to stand, and I've tried to be thought-provoking,